Hey, this morning we have uh, the privilege to have with us Mel and Edna Shetler. Mel is from Goshen, Indiana. Mel has been our overseer for 10 years, and I think in those 10 years, Mel has had a has had a great influence on on me. I think on this church and in a lot of other settings. Uh, he's been a great man for our conference for for many many years, and we're blessed to have him here. Uh, we, this weekend, we're leaving right after church. We're going down to Skyview Ranch in Millersburg as a leadership team, the elders, and um, and we're going to spend tonight and tomorrow all day just, just together, seeking God on what he has for the future of the Fairlawn Mennonite Church in the next year, in the next 10 years. So, so pray for us as we go, and um, I'm excited to to see what God has for us um, this weekend. Mel, if you would come, I would like to pray for you, and we'll turn the time over to you. Father, we thank you for, um, we thank you for Mel and Edna. Lord, we thank you for their lives. We thank you for uh, the example that he has set as a, as a godly man in leading um, his church and leading this conference and I pray that you would just continue to bless him in this new phase of his life as he and Edna um, just continue to serve you in, in retirement. Lord, I pray this morning as he shares with us, Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive the words that you've given him for us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Duane. Edna and I had just a really lovely trip out here this morning. always like to see the the dawn arrive and, and uh, the quietness of the morning. Pastor Dwayne actually gave me a, a choice whether I wanted to preach this morning or not. And uh, at first I thought, well, you know, I'll just sit back. And, but uh, I felt like God put a specific message on my heart for the church here this morning. I couldn't shake it. And uh, it's, it's not something that you're not already doing I think it's in your DNA. Every time I'm around you, I, I, I hear about this. Um, last time I was here, you had just offered the perspectives class and talked with a number of you that were in that class and just felt like it had really impacted you. And so I've entitled the message this morning, Does Fairlawn Have a Missional Heart? Does Fairlawn Have a Missional Heart? Do the people of Fairlawn have a missional heart? And it's not talking down you at all. Like I said, it's, I believe you're setting, um, you're setting a lot of example in this, but this morning I'm using Jesus as the standard bearer. So I know you're going to fall short of that, and so am I. But it's the standard bearer that we all want to reach. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, Chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. I was impacted by a family that uh, was missional. And I'll say a little bit more what that means in a moment. When I was a teenager, my mom and dad one evening had accompanied our pastor and a few church people to the closest large city to us, South Bend, Indiana, where they had a service at what was called the Hope Rescue Mission. That evening, my Mom and dad brought a guy home with them. He was young for who I often visualize being in these missions, these 
This, this Hope Rescue Mission was a mission on the downtown streets of South Bend. It's still there, of uh, people who are transits and homeless and whatever. So um, my dad brought this young man into our house and, and told me that uh, he'd like if I would share my, my room with him. He said his name was Ernest Collins. And so I began sharing my room with this young man, Ernest Collins, and he went to church with us and was involved with our family and helped on the farm. And uh, <clears throat> that went on for quite a while. And one evening I had put a, this dates us a little bit, but I put a stack of records on. And I, I had a phonograph in my room where you could put uh, six, eight records on and gospel records and go to bed and they would feed themselves. And, and we were playing these records, and, and uh, all at once Bill starts sobbing. And he was crying so much that uh, it was keeping me awake, and I finally said, uh, Bill, I said, what's the matter? And he was going to be baptized the, the coming Sunday in our church. And he said, I can't uh, go ahead with my baptism without telling you what's, I think he said, who I really am. He said, my real name is Bill Souza. And he said, I'm an escaped convict from Rhode Island. He said, the FBI are looking for me. And uh, he said, uh, as I've been here and learned to know your family and learned to know Jesus and getting baptized tomorrow, the right thing for me would be to turn myself in. So he said, tomorrow after his baptism, he'd like to... to uh, turn himself in. I'm, I'm thinking, here, here I am in this room with his ex-convict. I wanted to go down and tell my dad, but I, I made it till morning. And the morning, me and him told my dad, and he agreed that that was the right thing to do. And so we went to church, and he was baptized, and then my dad called the FBI, and they came to the church and picked him up. And he went back to Rhode Island and later married a wonderful Christian girl and periodically visited our family when he would travel through. So early on as a teenager, I, I, I understood what it meant just out of a lifestyle for my mom and dad to, to just out of the everyday walk in life to represent Jesus to people. And it really impacted me. I remember one day uh, some man asking my dad if he was a, a Christian uh, Christ follower and my dad was often fairly modest and humble about that, and, and rather than just giving a big overt testimony, he said, you see my neighbor over there? He said, why don't you just go over and ask my neighbor? Ask him that question. That was his, his answer to that. Well, if your Bible's open to Gospel of John chapter 4, the passage here is that Jesus and his disciples are making their way up toward Jerusalem. It's hot. It's dusty, like the roads um, are in around this part of the country. Ed and I visit there. You know, Duane and Bert have been there. It's hot in country, and around Sychar, it's hot. And Jesus was tired, and he sat by the well, Jacob's well, and the disciples went uptown to something like a McDonald's or somewhere to get something to eat. And he was waiting there by the well for them to get back. And... Uh, well, he was waiting at this well. Uh, this well had a rich history. 
David one evening, kind of thinking out loud, just said, oh, he'd love to have a drink from Jacob's well. And two of his men risked their lives to penetrate through enemy strongholds and brought him back some water from that well. And you recall David took it after he saw what they did, such a sacrifice. He poured it out before the Lord as a sacrifice. Well, it was this well that Jesus set with that rich history, and he's sitting there, and a woman comes out to draw water at noontime. Uh, most women went in the morning, but this woman had a reputation that she probably wanted to bypass the wagging tongues and the looks and the stares. And so she came out at noon to get some water, and Jesus engaged her in conversation there. And so... Um, we pick up this passage um, with Jesus talking to this woman. And uh, <clears throat> so I asked the question this morning, um, does Fairlawn have a missional heart? What is a missional heart? Well, a missionary or a missional, it, it's a pretty simple concept, but, but pretty deep. It's, it has the, the deep consciousness that we are sent. One who knows they are sent. We're passing through this life with a sense of purpose, passion, and responsibility for the mission of God. That's what we're about, and we're passing through this life knowing that. It's a decision to offer God our plans in our everyday life in exchange for his plans. It means that you get up every morning recognizing that today has potential and possibility because you've given up your plans for God's plans today. You notice in verse 34 here, Jesus said, my food, see the disciples come back and notice Jesus was talking to this woman and then he didn't act really hungry and before they left, he was tired, they were all hungry. So they come back with food and he gives them the answer. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There you have a missional heart statement. For Jesus, when it came to being missional, that was far deeper and more precious than even food to eat. It was that special to him. A missional heart engages the unchurched with the gospel. Now, as we go through these, we're going to sit here in this church this morning and do our own heart check and look at Jesus as a standard and see how we're doing with this. A missional heart engages the unchurched with the gospel. The gospel, for a lot of people, when they talk about it, they just talk about kind of the eternal destiny, heaven or hell. But Jesus spent a lot of time talking the gospel. It includes that but included all of life, including as he was living it out among them. Imagine what could happen if the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection was allowed to shape and inform all the areas of our life this morning. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it's the concept that you are being sent because Jesus committed to you the good news of the gospel that you're privileged to walk that out every day in your life to make a difference for somebody. Why do you think 
today that people can just go about their church life without engaging the gospel in everyday life. Sometimes people compartmentalize their life. Sometimes I ask uh, people, uh, what do you do? And sometimes their, their answer is this. They'll say, or they, ask it, they, they first ask a further question. They said, well, do you mean my secular life or my religious life? <laughs> and uh, that's an always interesting question because secular means something you leave God out of. That's what secular is, something you leave God out of. And so, if you actually have any part of your life that you leave God out of it? And so, what we do, whether it's our work, whether we're going to school, whether we're a nurse, whether we're a carpenter, whether we're businessmen, whether we're a farmer, whatever we're doing, it's not secular. It's something that we're living out the gospel in our everyday life. Secondly, a missional heart lives out of God's value system. Recall Jesus said not only that his food was to do the will of God, he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. His way of saying, you know what? I know we were all hungry when we were here. You left me to go uptown and get some food. We're all, we're all really hungry. But what just happened here, what just happened here with this woman Jesus had a way of saying, is as good as it can get. And those of you sitting here this morning, when you know that you've been used by God to bring the gospel to somebody through connection and relationship where you've lived it out and it impacts their life, that's as good as it gets. There's nothing better. Engaging a Samaritan woman in a winsome, powerful encounter where she received the gospel for Jesus, this was as good as it gets. Third, a missional heart has discovered life's purpose. Notice verse 34. My food said Jesus to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To finish his work. It's to finish the work of him that sent me. So the question this morning would be to you is, do you know why you've been sent here? I used to, um, as a teenager, sometimes look up in the skies and ask that question, God, why? Why did you place me here? What's my purpose? What do you want me to do? And sometimes it's the reason for people having what you call midlife crisis. They all want to think about life is half over. And what have we done? What have we accomplished? A while back, I was um, at a funeral of John Hall, who owns the local hardware store in downtown Goshen. John died of cancer a few weeks ago. But I remember the day in his store when I'd gone in, John said, you got a few minutes? And I said, yes. And he went down in the basement of his hardware store and sat on a couple boxes. And John had tried to compete with Walmart and everybody else, and he tried to be open on Sundays, and he tried things to just market his store. And we're sitting down in the boxes, and he turns to me, and he says, Pastor Mel, he said, I've, I've worked all my life for this place. He bought another store, opened up beside it, connected the two. He expanded. He said, I got my two boys involved in the store. 
So I'm open Sundays and I'm working from morning till night. And he said, what have I really got to show for it? What have I really got to show for it? He said, you know what? I've tried to climb the ladder, but I'm beginning to think I put the ladder against the wrong building. Why do you think God created you? Why are you here? You know what work he sent you to finish? Books in my childhood days were pretty precious, and my folks had a pretty thick book. It was called Quests and Conquest Book. Some of you may have had that book. It's full of just treasure, treasures in that book. And there was a little story in that book that always impressed me. It was a story about Cripple Tom. Tom was a paper boy, and one day while passing out papers, a car ran over him and Cripple's legs. His mom and dad weren't living anymore, and his friend had taken him on top of this old store where he put him there in a, a place where there was a kind of a cot there on, the, on a mattress so he could kind of heal up from his injuries. And while he was up there, he could hear below him uh, every so often there was a service going on, and he would hear these people talk about a Jesus who went about doing good. And, and just through being in that upper room, he um, committed his life to the Lord from hearing the church below and then he began to ask this question, God, why did you send me here? What did you ask me to do? And he, that morning, had read this verse, I must finish the works of him that sent me while it is yet day, for the night cometh when no man can work. And he wrote it down on a little piece of paper and dropped it out the window where his cot was. And a businessman was on his way to work that morning and felt something land on his hat <laughs> and just took it out, and here was this piece of paper, and he read it. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is yet day, for the night cometh, when nobody can work. Got in his office and hung up his hat and jacket, tried to work, but all day long, this word kept coming to him. I must work the works of him that sent me. What is that work? Well, he began thinking maybe the first work was to find out where that note came from. So he traced his steps back home that night about where he found this paper line. I looked up and saw a little window up there. And, and to shorten the story, he found Cripple Tom, a boy that had found his purpose in life and began to impact and affect others. I'm saying that to say that you may be sitting here this morning, as I did often, thinking, I am just one little guy in this great big world. What can I do? How can I affect anybody or anything? And yet this question is one that God brings to all of us this morning. Do you know why you've been sent here? Do you know what work he's asked you to finish? The fourth definition of a missional heart in this passage, verse 35 a missional heart sees the harvest as a normal rhythm of life. Jesus said, in your normal language, it was around springtime, and he said, in your normal language, you may say, it's four months yet to harvest. And he said, I don't want you to be thinking in those terms in the kingdom. I don't want you to ever say or think yet four months till harvest. Because the harvest is right every day for somebody. 
That's the mentality he wants us to think, that a missional heart sees as a normal rhythm of life that somebody, like my folks, just one evening going to faith mission, and in the normal rhythm of life, there was a guy searching for something more than he had in life. And he became part of our family, part of our life. So stop and think, every day is harvest time for somebody. It's incarnational. We are living it out every day in community. Every day we're living it out in community. Some time ago, we had a family gathering, and it was going to be at a church, and Edna and I took two vehicles, because I'm usually the last one to leave church. And uh, it was Edna's side of the family, so also was the first, I left before she did. And she called me a while later, and she said, Honey, the, the vehicle won't start. So I went out to pick her up, and we have AAA, and I say, Well, that's what AAA is for. I've never used it before. Might as well use this AAA. And so on Monday, I called them up, and, and uh, the guy said, uh, Well, can I pick you up or you meet me out there? And I said, well, I'll meet you out there. And got out there, just a young guy. Um, and he checked the vehicle out and finally determined that he couldn't get it started, so he was going to tow it, tow it to the garage. And uh, <clears throat> it was around lunchtime when we got back, and I turned to the young man, and I said, uh, um, said, would you have time for lunch? I said, be glad to buy your lunch. Before you go back and he looked at me no one's ever done that to me before and I said well I'd like to buy your lunch he said well I've got to ask my boss so he did and he said yeah he said it'd be okay so right close to our church is uh, Ponderosa so we went in there and, and uh, discovered that he's not married but he's living with a girl and he not going to church and that's about as far as we got when the owner of the Ponderosa Larry comes and sits down and he starts talking to me about uh, promotion thing he wants to do in the restaurant. I'm thinking, Larry, can't you see I got something going here? You know, that's what I'm thinking. And so to break in, I, I just introduced him to Larry and said, you know, I said, uh, he's from Mishawaka, and he come again. Well, that's where I live, Larry said. And along we talked, uh, this guy had connections in the church where Larry goes to church. Larry works in the sound. He plays bass in the worship team in that church. And I'm thinking, Larry, you're stealing my fish. I mean, I've got connections. I'm trying to, you know, here was this unnatural thing where God was leading. But the longer we talked, I thought, you know what? I am clear wrong with this. This guy lives close to where Larry does. He's got connections at a church. And Larry invited him to church next Sunday. And I checked back with Larry, and he's been going. But just out of the natural rhythm of life, here was a guy that on this particular day was ripe. The harvest is always ripe for somebody. It may be the gas station where you go or the grocery store or when you go watch the kids' soccer game. There's somebody that you're connected with. I'm amazed how many people out there sometimes think that church people are strange and, and somehow when you get connected with them in soccer games and basketball and football and things like that, they discover you're for real. And in this way it's incarnational when you begin to represent Jesus to them in your everyday life.
The fifth definition of a missional heart is that we're passionate about the harvest. Verse 36 says here, the sower and the reaper rejoice together. They may be glad together, rejoice together. There's, there's emotion, there's passion connected to sowing and reaping. Psalm 126 verse 5 says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. You may be one like me. I'm hard on the scriptures. When I see something that don't make sense, it just leaps out at me. I always thought sowing time was, was the most fun time that there was. When springtime came around and we would plant on our farm, that was, that was fun. Seed time, planting time, working the ground. Those that sow in, why would someone sow in tears? Well, doing some research in biblical times, they took some of the food from their table, at, basically, to use it as seed in the ground. And so, it was tough. It was tough when, when there wasn't a whole lot of food, food for the table to take some of that food, some of that seed, some of what you eat, maybe wheat for, for, for bread and so on, and you're going to take it and plant it in the ground. And you recall the parable where Jesus said someone, the seed was so precious that someone actually came and stole the seed out of the ground and sowed, sowed tares instead or weeds and didn't know it till it came up. That's how precious the seed was. And so there's some people that actually sowed in tears. It was tough. The next verse in Psalm 126 says, But he who continually goes forth, weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, in the context of these two verses, it's actually talking about Israel, who was carried away into Babylon in captivity. And while they were in captivity, some of the people became... Um, culturized with a Babylonian culture, just kind of drifted away into that culture. There are others, a remnant, that stayed true to God. And daily, in fact, we have a psalm that says that on the Sabbath, their captors, whether they did it out of realness of wanting to know or out of mockery or summary, they, they asked us to sing one of the songs of Zion, they said. But they said, we hung our harps on the willow trees and said, how can we sing our church songs? We're here in captivity. So instead of rejoicing, they were in mourning. And they sowed in tears. But in this particular psalm, the news came, the good news, symbolic of the gospel, that Cyrus, who had now conquered Babylon, was going to allow them to go back home. And they couldn't believe it to start with. They were so excited. There was so much joy. There was so much passion. They are headed back home. They sowed in tears. In their prayers, they were weeping and sowing in tears. But now, they were reaping joy. Well, some of you know what that's like. And had a brother Roy, such a great guy. And Ed and I talked privately. Roy was such a nice guy. We just could not handle our mind thinking that Roy might actually be lost and go to hell. And Ed and I would pray for Roy. And we'd cry out to God. In fact, it kept us awake sometimes at night because it grabbed us 
and our emotions. One night, Roy called. He said, can you come out? I need to talk. He said, I discovered I have cancer. And that night, Roy became a believer, a Christ follower. What passion, what joy. And then I recall another phone call about four in the morning where a dad called. He's crying over the phone. He's saying, Pastor Mel, my son's been in hell now for about an hour and a half. It was a, it was a, it was an awful call. His son, who had been struggling with alcohol, and on his way from the bar, wrapped his tree around the car, a, a car around a tree, and him and his girlfriend were both killed. And his father, at that point, felt his son was lost in, in, in hell. Later on, daylight, I saw the father, and my son's been in hell now for four and a half hours. That's the way he talked. Only God knows that. I'm just saying there's a lot of passion connected to this thing of reaping and sowing. And church, can I just say this morning, if you've got people you're connected with that are lost and going to hell, and if, you're not, if, if it's not affecting you in a way that you're not even shedding a tear about it, and you need this heart, you don't need guilt, you don't need condemnation, but you need a harvester's heart. One that is passionate about really wanting to see people come to God. The sixth definition of missional heart is it recognizes that we reap where others have sown, verse 37. I, I love this, this part. Thus it says that one sows and other reaps, it's true. I send you to reap where you've not worked. Years ago, when I was a teenager, on Saturdays sometimes, I joined Frank Gonzalez and the God Squad. They were in the big city of Elkhart, and sometimes I'd go on Saturdays and join Frank in what was called the God Squad, and we'd hit the streets of Elkhart, and we'd talk to people about the Bible, and we'd come back and we'd report to Frank how many people got saved. Sometimes there were 15, sometimes 20. <clears throat> One day I said to Frank, I said, Frank, we're leaving them all out there. I said, uh, isn't there a way that we should be incorporating these people in a church? And Frank's belief in theology was that it's important that you bring everybody across the finish line. If you come back and you hadn't brought them across the finish line, you didn't do your job right. You know what? I've discovered that there's some people, and some of you here at Fairlawn this morning, that you are really good at taking some people far from God and taking them from a zero to a five. And that's something a lot of people aren't gifted to do. There's some of you that can connect with people that are far from God. And you slowly warm them up. You may not take them across the finish line. Somebody else may do it later. So every time God is involved with us, when somebody is harvested for the kingdom, we ought to all acknowledge that there were a lot of other people, no doubt, that had a hand in this. And there ought to be a certain humility about us to know that this really is part of kingdom work where other people have sowed, other people have planted in these people's lives, prayers have been offered. 
And so I thank God this morning for every soul that's been harvested, whether it's invested time and prayer on their behalf. A harvester's heart recognizes that, recognize we're part of a group and a team effort. Last this morning, a missional heart accepts that the harvest is hard work. <clears throat> Notice verse 38 said, Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. It recognizes that harvest is hard work. Now, you have a picture of an instrument up here that doesn't look like a lot of hard work from when I grew up doing this stuff. I still got the beginning of the shocking wheat by hand. That was hard work. Threshing was hard work. There were 11 of us boys, so when we got done, Dad would always say, boys, climb the fences and help the neighbors. And so we'd help the neighbors shock wheat. It was hard work. Harvest is hard work. I would watch my dad when harvest time come. Sometimes he'd walk out in the wheat field and dad would take a little something, he'd rub in his hand, then he'd chew a little bit and he'd give some to me as a little boy and say, what, what do you think, son? I think he wanted to make me feel important. I'd chew a little bit of it. I never knew what he was looking for. He'd say, maybe a week. But we'd be getting the equipment ready, sickle sharpened, Wheat bins ready. It was harvest time. Everything in the farm changed. There was a certain urgency connected with it. Now suppose when the harvest was all ready, my father would have called all of his boys and say, okay, boys, line up. And he'd say, now call the harvest in. Here, harvest, come harvest. The bins are empty, clean. Come harvest, come. That's how a lot of churches handle it. They somehow think that we can just be inside these walls and call them to come. That somehow our programs, something will get them to come. Well, there's some things we can do about that. But make no mistake about it, church. You've got to go get the harvest. It's hard work. It's out there. And a missional heart goes after it. I like just where you're seated right now. Could you just place your hand over your heart? Felt the Lord tell me this morning that the people here at Fairlawn don't need another sermon to make them feel guilty for not witnessing or this or that. But what God promised to do is actually give us a new heart. There's different people in the Bible that he put a new heart in them. And he can put a new heart in us. Dear God, this morning as we hold our hand over our heart here in this church, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us a missional heart. Thank you for raising the standard higher than we've ever seen it. And we reach out to it this morning and say, Jesus, we want to be the incarnate Christ. We want to represent you here in community. Here, this woman, all these husbands, and you took her as one of yours and brought her into the community.
oh God, this church has this in their DNA. They aspire to bring people like this in to the kingdom, into the community. And I pray that you just break down every barrier and you give us the zeal and the Holy Spirit unction that we would cry over what you cry about, that we would weep over the loss like you weep, and that we would rejoice and celebrate with everyone that comes into the kingdom, that we would celebrate when someone goes from a zero to a five. We would celebrate when someone goes to a zero to a one, that every little progress, that we have a harvester's heart that's monitoring the harvest, that every day we're flowing with this rhythm, that maybe today the harvest is ripe for somebody. Somebody who we connect with. God, I know your faithfulness this morning while I've been speaking. You've already put some names in people's hearts today. Wondering about this person or that person. And you put it there for a reason. Because maybe the harvest is ripe. God, I meet people every day almost in my life where the harvest was ripe at one time and now it's turned sorrow. Sorrow. Just sour because nobody's been there. And now they're bitter and turned off. And now it's harder. But I pray that you give us the kind of winsome, powerful gospel message that impacts this community. And I thank you, God, for being Lord of this church and for caring about this community. I pray for Pastor DeWayne and the elders as we meet together in the church as we stand, all the teams here together, people that are in the nursery this morning to the classes, that we're part of this team effort in being a missional church. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mel, I don't know what to say, except I know I needed that. Uh, I was very blessed and very challenged. It's just a matter of doing it. And pray for me that I would be able to, to have that missional heart every day. And I will pray for you that you would have that missional heart. Stand with me. All right. Have a wonderful week. Go in peace.